0: There is such a thing called conscious... Consciousness. In terms of consciousness. In terms of consciousness.
1: What consciousness is.
0: You're listening to Explain the Brain from the Mind Science Foundation. Today we take a look at a field you don't always associate with brain research. The legal system. Some people's bones break easily. Some get lots of sinus infections. Some people get hives from shellfish. And yeah, we might joke like, come on, get it together. But we know it's not on them, that's just how they were made. Neuroscience can help us think about mind stuff the same way. Like say your brother gets sad a lot more than you, or your niece has trouble controlling her anger. Maybe it's not their fault, maybe their brains are just made that way. I'll be honest, I'm kind of a fan of this line of thinking, these issues coming from a physical place, not just personal weaknesses. But how does this play out when mental illness leads someone to do something wrong? Like if it's not them, it's their brain, what's that mean for a criminal case? David Eagleman's a neuroscientist at Baylor College of Medicine, and he gets asked this a lot.
1: Okay, well, was it his fault or was it his biology's fault? And my suggestion is that doesn't make sense as a question anymore.
0: He says, yeah, you are your brain. The last 50 years of neuroscience has taught us that.
1: People get tumors, strokes, degenerative disorders, traumatic brain injuries, and it changes entirely their decision-making, their personality, Their risk aversion, all sorts of things. And so who you are is really a statement about what's running under the hood biologically.
0: You can't blame your brain and not you. That just can't be teased apart.
1: The only thing we can ask is what do we do moving forward? In other words, is there a rehabilitative strategy available in this situation? Can we modulate the person's jail sentencing, depending on what we know about that brain?
0: Eagleman started a whole research center to look at this, how what we know about the brain can inform criminal justice. He calls this line of
1: work neuro law. It's really trying to understand what are the differences between people, what things can be rehabilitated and which things can't. What can we tell about somebody's future dangerousness and what can't we? And I know that last part sounds like it could be creepy, but the fact is people are just really different on the inside.
0: And those differences can say something about a person's future actions.
1: So an example is, if you're a judge and you have several people in front of you who have all committed exactly the same crime, they may have done so for very different reasons. One guy is a psychopath who doesn't care about you, and he's aggressive and mean, and he's going to do it again.
0: The next guy has schizophrenia. For this guy, there's therapy programs that could totally turn his life around.
1: And then the next guy is, uh, is a drug addict and he's on drugs and it's completely rewired his brain in ways that are measurable. And there are meaningful drug rehab programs and so on. So th- the idea that for each crime there should be a mandated, mandatory sentence that a judge has to give just doesn't make sense.
0: Neuroscience can help us understand the different reasons each person may have committed the crime and whether these reasons mean they're likely to do it again. Briegelman says you can't use neuroscience to arrest someone before they've done a crime. Like, take someone who's technically a psychopath.
1: Which means he can't empathize with other people. He doesn't care about other people. He's willing to crush everybody in his way you might think, wow, we should stick that guy in jail before he does something. But he might not ever, ever commit a crime. He might be a very successful CEO on Wall Street. And he, he doesn't care about crushing mom and pa stores. And he gets handsomely rewarded with a, with a giant salary. So you can't know in advance, just because somebody has certain qualities and characteristics, that they will cross any of the lines in the sand.
0: He says you also can't use
1: neuroscience
0: to get someone off the hook.
1: About once every two weeks, I get a call from different defense lawyers who have read something about neural law, and they say, look, I've got a client, he's up for murder, I want you to do a brain scan and see if you can find something wrong with his brain so we can get him off on that.
0: He always says no to these. He actually advises against it.
1: If you can prove to the jury that there's something fundamentally wrong with your client's brain and that he's got a developmental disorder such that he never developed his prefrontal lobes correctly and he has impulse control problems and so on, Yes, it's the case that it's not his fault, but it also simultaneously convinces the jury that they can expect this kind of behavior from him in the future.
0: Eagleman's saying we shouldn't use neuroscience to determine culpability. We should use it to determine whether we need to worry about someone reoffending, if there's anything we can do to help stop them from reoffending. Like right now, he's working on a cognitive therapy for people addicted to crack cocaine. The program helps them train their brains to suppress cravings. And so far, the therapy's working. For Explain the Brain, I'm Audrey Quinn. This podcast is available on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud. If you subscribe, you'll find a new one every other Tuesday through the fall.